0: We'll do a quick recap of the last few weeks, because as Paul said, next week we're going into a new theme, rules for freedom. So we'll do a recap of the last few weeks, and hopefully a look forward into the year out of the piece of scripture that we're reading today. You remember we are in the church time, the church season called Epiphany. Three weeks ago, we started talking about the fact that a great light has gone up in the darkness. Throughout the history of the church, it is referred to the time after Christmas as the time of Epiphany, the revelation of God. And we looked at uh, the first chapter of John and then we looked at uh, the uh, chapter three of Matthew where Jesus was baptized. Then we went back to John last week. We heard John the Baptist saying, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we said, that is the revelation. That is the eureka moment of Christianity that Jesus pays the price so that we may be freed from sin. And last week we ended with this slide. We said, God doesn't give you answers. He gives you the invitation to become part of his family and his kingdom. We said, God doesn't give us guarantees. God gives you the promise of love and grace. We said, God doesn't write up contracts when you give him your life. He gives you the covenant, a covenant that you cannot break and that he will not break. And so here we are, Matthew chapter 4. This is just after uh, Jesus uh, was baptized and sent into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And in that time, in the story of Matthew, we can gather that John the Baptist was arrested and beheaded. And then our scripture says, And Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, in Galilee, the land of shadows. Now you might be thinking, why on earth would you call a place the land of shadows? And there's a few reasons. We're not quite sure why. But the two that have, that, 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 that have stood out throughout history is the rocks. Actually, I think the other slide shows it a bit better. We'll get back to that one. The rocks and stones in the region of Galilee were very dark in color. And so people often called Galilee the dark land. It's almost like the sun that burned the uh, the, the rocks black. And so they called it dark land, shadow land. The other reason that it was called shadow land, or as in our reading in particular, a land in the shadow of death, was Zebulon and Naphtali were two regions of Israel in the north. Now Israel had a great big desert to the south through which no armies could march, and it had the uh, the Sea of Galilee on the west, and it had another great desert on the east. And so the only route that any invaders could take to actually get to Israel, Judah, Jerusalem to invade and sack the place were through the north. So which regions, regions would have bore the brunt of any invasions? Zebulon and Naphtali. This had quite a few implications. First of all, it meant... They suffered immensely when first the Assyrians came in, and then the Babylonians came in, and then the Romans came in with their armies uh, and, uh, and imparted their rule. Uh, it also meant that Zebulon and Naphtali were uh, regions that were very much more multicultural, diverse than further south in Israel. That's why it's called the land of the Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles. And we have this piece of scripture quoted in Isaiah, which says, A light went on in the shadow land. Something happened in the one place you would not expect it to happen. Here in Galilee, this is where the ministry of Jesus starts. And he starts it, he starts it with the words that we heard two weeks ago from John the Baptist Repent, for the kingdom of God, or in the case of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And we'll get back to exactly what that meant. But here we have this amazing story, very well known, of these brothers along the lake, the Sea of Galilee, preparing their nets, fishing. Maybe they fished at night and they came ashore early morning to unload their catch and the idea is that probably was around that time, uh, Peter and, uh, what's his brother, Andrew? I always get confused. Two of them were maybe unloading their catch for the day, putting things away. And Jesus walks by, and Paul's exactly right, 30, 31, 32. And he says, come, follow me. You hear the invitation. We spoke about this last week. And I will make you fishes of men. And they drop everything. Now, maybe if you were a fisherman, you'd also drop everything. Uh, I hope there aren't any fishermen, uh, career fishermen in church. It wasn't a job that held a lot of esteem in the time of Jesus. You had slaves and beggars and people who were chronically ill and sick, and just above them on the social pecking order, you had fishermen because they worked incredibly hard and they stank of fish all the time. And Jesus says to these fishermen, you, you follow me. And they drop everything and they start following him. Why on earth would they do that? We'll jump around between uh, the different uh, 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 events happening in this piece of scripture. But they leave everything now. In the first century in Israel... Little boys and girls as well, but specifically boys, from the time they could learn, were taught the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, specifically the first five books, the history of the, of of the Israelite people. And they were taught these books, and they were taught these books, and at a certain point, when they turned a certain age, they had to recite what they had learned. And their mothers and their fathers and the elders and the village rabbi might listen very closely to how they recite it. And they might get asked a few questions. Can you draw the lines between what happened here and here? And many of them didn't make the cut. Many of them were uh, 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 recited what they had learned. And the rabbi and the elders might say, oh, your boy is, um, he's clever, but he's not clever enough to learn the rest of the Hebrew Bible. Um, he'll he'll be a great fisherman like his dad or he'll be a great carpenter like his dad or however it may be. But the ones who are considered clever enough, they go to the rabbis and the synagogues and they start learning the next part of the Hebrew Bible and they start learning more about the history and the traditions and the culture and the language. And at a certain point when they reach a certain age, 13, 14, maybe a bit older, they get grilled again. They get asked all these different theological and philosophical questions about the history of their people. And the ones who don't quite make the cut, or the rabbi tells them, I can see you love the Lord, I can see you're very serious, but you'll be better off becoming a stonemason like your father. Or if it's a girl, maybe working in the house with your mother. But the guys who get it right, the best of the best, they get taken under the rabbi's wing. And they learn the following part of the Hebrew Bible. And they learn even more in-depth things. And they become live-in students. And they take it very, very seriously. And after a period of years learning from the rabbi himself, they would get grilled. They would get asked all sorts of questions about their lifestyle, about the choices they make, about how what they learn changes the way they live. And the ones who don't make the cut, well, the rabbi tells them, well, thank you, you're very clever, but you'll be better off becoming a fisherman or a farmer or a merchant. But the best of the best of the best, the ones who pass the exam with flying colors, the ones whom the rabbi can't fault in their answers, the rabbi says to them, I want you to learn from me. Because I think you can do what I do. I think you can be like me. You can become a spiritual leader for people. And the words the rabbi would use to officially call this pupil to become a disciple, are the words, come. Come follow me. And if your rabbi says that to you, you know you've made it and you know your entire life is going to be devoted to following and learning from your rabbi so that one day you may become who he envisions you to be. That's incredible, isn't it? That makes our school system look quite silly. Now, of course... I think it's still the same. You know, the 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 best of the best of the best of the best still study to become leaders in church, you know, not engineers and the medical doctors and things like that. But I might be biased in saying that. There's something else we need to say before we get back to this idea of following your rabbi. Now we know that Jesus is walking along the coast, and Paul said this as well, there's very good research to suggest that Peter and uh, and Andrew and John and James, they weren't 30-year-old men. They didn't have everything figured out. Not that you have everything figured out at 30, but they were young. They were probably the boys who had learned a bit of the Torah, of the Hebrew Bible, but who were told by the elders and the rabbi, you're very good, but you'll be better off working with your father. You're not clever enough to become a rabbi. You see what Jesus is doing. They're the ones who don't really make the cut. They're not the best. And they're not the best of the best. And they're not the best of the best of the best. And here Jesus, who by that time was known as a rabbi in his, in his region, is walking along the coast and he says the words that you say when you want someone to become your disciple. He says, come. Follow me. And so the first time you read this passage, you might think, well, why on earth would they drop everything just like that and start following him? But now you understand they're doing it because when the rabbi says to you, come, follow me, he's saying, you can be like me. You can do the things I do. You can become who I envision you to be. And so they drop it, and they start following him. And then the last verse says, And Jesus went around through all the villages, proclaiming the good news, teaching in the synagogues, and healing the sick, and teaching people about the kingdom of God. And he did it. He began with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. I think that's the one I want. Great. It's a funny word that we translate as repent in English. The actual word Jesus uses is metanoia. Actually, that's not the verb form, but it's the one that I like most because the uh, hostel that I stayed in at university in South Africa was called metanoia. If you want to know what metanoia means, it means a change of heart and a change of mind. It's the, it's a, it's the Greek word for the concept of going through a process of conversion. Of thinking one way about a certain issue, and then having a metanoia and thinking about it a different way. But it's not only an intellectual exercise, it's also a very visceral exercise. Your whole life changes. When you have that life-changing moment, that is called a metanoia moment. And so the word that Jesus starts his ministry with is this word repent. But perhaps not repent in the way that we like to use it, where we need to confess our sins. Maybe what Jesus is saying is something much more complex. He's saying repent, but repent and change and have a change of heart and a change of mind metanoia means something else as well it goes even deeper a metanoia is not walking a certain direction and then doing a 180 degree turn and walking the other way a metanoia is a gradual process of turning into who you are supposed to be metanoia this very complex Greek word simply put means becoming who you are supposed to be becoming who God means you to be and in that sense becoming who you really are and not what the world has made you and so Jesus starts his ministry and says become who you are become who God means you to be for the kingdom of God has drawn near. That's incredibly powerful. Because suddenly we understand it not as this permanent process of confession, but as a process of gradually, continually, unceasingly, becoming more and more the way God means us to be, living more and more the way God means us to to live. And the same thing is true of the disciples. When God, when Jesus says to them at the lake, come, follow me, they might drop everything, but they're still the same people. Their lives don't change irrevocably there and then. They start walking with Jesus. They start learning from him and slowly but surely, mistake after mistake, Their lives change and they become who Jesus sees them to be, envisions them to be. That's incredibly powerful. That's what Jesus did with a bunch of 15, 16, 17-year-old boys along the Sea of Galilee. And that is the invitation that he gives to us as well. Whether you're 16 or 60. Become who God means you to be because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near there was a an impromptu blessing given to those students now we're back to the beginning those guys who were the best of the best of the best who passed all the exams of flying colors to whom the rabbi said come follow me become like me walk in my footsteps Once it was announced that you had passed the test and you were to become that rabbi's disciple, other people in town might come to you and congratulate you, and they would say this. They would say to you, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What on earth would they mean when they said that? Well, there weren't any asphalt roads in Galilee at that time, believe it or not. People walked or rode maybe on Horses and donkeys and in carts where they wanted to go. But they kicked up a lot of dust wherever they went. And so the blessing, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, was supposed to evoke the image of following so closely behind your rabbi as he's walking that the dust being kicked up from his feet would rest on your clothing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you walk so closely and so diligently behind your rabbi that at the end of the day when you get home, you are covered in dust. We're going to go into the commissioning of our leaders in a moment. And my prayer would be that we would say that to our leaders. And to each other. And now comes the difficult part. If this is what Christ meant when he said to those boys along the Sea of Galilee, follow me so that you may be covered in the dust that I kick up when I walk. If that is what Christ is saying to them, if that is what Christ is saying to us, if Christ is saying to us, come, follow me. You may not be the best of the best of the best. It doesn't matter. I believe that you can become like me, that you can do the things I do. If that is true, if that is the word of the Lord, then the only answer, question we need to ask is how do you become covered in the dust of your rabbi? Well, the answer is very simple, isn't it? By following him, by walking after him, by doing the things he does. How on earth will you be covered in the dust of your rabbi if he is there where the homeless people are and you are in church? How on earth will you be covered in the dust of your rabbi if he is with those who are poor and sick and lame and the thought of visiting them never even crosses your mind? If you want to be covered in the dust of Jesus Christ you have to follow very closely and this is where the metanoia the repentance comes in because if you want to be covered in his dust you must wake up every morning saying lord turn me more and more into the person you mean me to be lord help me to follow you ever closer lord by the end of the day i want to be covered and caked in dust and mud and blood and sweat of all the places where you've been and of course the greatest grace that we have that we spoke about last week is that it's not up to us and it doesn't matter how many matter how many times we fail or how far we get behind God doesn't break his promise. God's invitation stays the same. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Walk closely behind me. And now, when we go into our rules for freedom, this is exactly what we learn to do. We say to each other, if we are to walk closely behind God, we must learn his rhythm. We must learn what time he gets up, what time he calls us, where to go, what to do and these rules will give us ever greater freedom in christ let's go into our commissioning let's have a prayer to end our, uh, our message and to lead us into our commissioning praying that the leaders who will stand on the stage in a moment may take the call to be covered in the dust of christ to learn that intently from him very seriously let's close our eyes Lord Jesus, you call us. And we may not be the best of the best. Actually, Lord, we know we are far from it. But you call us. You have decided that we have what it takes to be like you. You have faith in us, and for that we thank you with everything we have. And we want to follow you, Lord Jesus. We want to drop everything and walk in your footsteps. And we may not get it right. We might fall behind. We might stumble and fall down. And then, Lord, we know you will pick us up and you will teach us again. And again, for this, we thank you. We want to repent. We want to have that metanoia moment every day of our lives where we know, Lord, that you are turning us into who you want us to be, who you created us to be. That's the repentance we want. Not a radical 180-degree turn, but a gradual grace and love-filled becoming who we are. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit that leads us and guides us and admonishes us as we become who you call us to be. When we commission our leaders now, may your spirit, your calling, your mission May all of it rest on, rest on every one of our leaders. And may they follow you closely, so closely, that your dust will rest on their clothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.